The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome to the Pinpoint Health Show. Uh, Dr. Lou is here. Anytime you want to reach out, you can do so. Info at pinpointhealth.ca. And you want to go to the Lou Down. By the way, that is a long-form podcast series. If you haven't caught what Dr. Lou is doing as far as social media is concerned, including uh, Facebook and Instagram and everything else, Pinpoint Health is where you want to go. one 55 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. Uh, Dr. Lou, it's good, to, uh, it's good to be back at it uh, again today. We have a guest, Dr. Uh, DeSantos, the practice leader for the Central Intake and Assessment Center for Low Back Pain for the Hamilton Niagara Haldeman Brandt Local Integrated Network. It's a mouthful, but it's a heck of a title. I'm going to let you take it away because you know a lot more about uh, Dr. DeSantos and what we're talking about for the first half of the show anyway. Uh, how are you, fellas? Hey, hey John, I'm doing well. Uh, Dr. DeSantos, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, uh, Dr. Lou, for, for inviting me on the show. Awesome. Yeah, of course. So, one of the things that we speak a lot about on this show is low back pain. And so uh, um, you're definitely a subject matter expert in, in that area. And before we get into that, I'll just sort of give a little bit of background for the listeners on Dr. DeSantos. So he's a chiropractic specialist. He holds a fellowship status uh, in the Canadian Chiropractic Specialty Colleges of Physical and Occupational Rehabilitation, and as well the College of Chiropractic Orthopedic Sciences. Um, he also has advanced uh, credential statusing with the Canadian Academy of Pain Management, um, and he's also a medical legal expert, and he's been doing that work since 1994. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the later half of the show, but in the beginning, we really wanted to sort of focus in on low back pain and what is known as the rapid access clinics for low back pain in Ontario. I'm actually part of that program as well. I'm an advanced practice provider. So I'm someone in the community that, um, you know, your family doctor might refer you to and, and you might see me. And then what happens is if for whatever reason, I think, you know, this low back pain case uh, is potentially surgical or needs more specialty uh, investigation, then I'll send it to someone like Dr. DeSantos. Now, the area I practice in is in Etobicoke, so it's not Dr. DeSantos that I would send it to, and, and Dr. DeSantos is in in the, in the Hamilton area, uh, but it's the exact same program, just in the different regions. So, um, Doc, I'll turn it to you as the subject matter expert. Can you just give us, a, you know, an overview of what this program really is and what it's designed to do? So, so thanks, Dr. Lou. So this program was rolled out a couple of years ago province-wide. It was piloted initially uh, back in 2012 in uh, Toronto, Hamilton, and Thunder Bay. And the, the whole goal of the program was to uh, ensure that people with, with low back-related conditions are getting seen in a more timely manner because back pain is such a prevalent condition. Uh, it's, uh, uh, as you can imagine, uh, the volumes of people with, with lower back conditions uh, are significant for any family or primary care provider. So the whole goal was to get these patients seen in a more timely manner so that they're not waiting a year and a half to see a surgeon and then being told, um, you know, that they're not a surgical candidate. So the goal was to get them seen in the right place at the right time um, by the right uh, professional. Yeah, and, and that's interesting. One of the things that um, we'll, we'll talk about often here and when we have callers around this issue 
Um, a lot of people, you know, when they, people will present sort of to their family doctor or a walk-in clinic with low back pain, um, and, and they may not be the best people to necessarily be dealing with that. And so when that's the case, those people will make a referral. And, and a lot of times that referral goes to, to a spine surgeon, which, as you said there, you know, the vast majority of cases, I forget what the exact stat was, and maybe you know it, but I think off the top of my head, it was something like out of 100 people that go to a spine surgeon, probably 93 or 94 of them shouldn't even be there. And then the other uh, ones probably should be there, and maybe one or two are actually surgical candidates. So it creates a massive amount of backlog for those that actually need uh, what the surgeon is offering. And, and that was sort of where this all had its genesis out of was that was that that was realized that so many things didn't require a, a surgical consultation. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, as you say, uh, less than 10% of the people across the board with lower back conditions require, um, you know, surgical intervention. There are some that, that you know, are falling a gray area that may require a surgical consultation, but uh, the ones that actually go on to uh, to surgical intervention are less than 10% for sure. Um, and so the whole goal of this program was to, to ensure that those that aren't uh, surgical candidates are getting seen in a timely manner, being provided with recommendations for appropriate evidence-based care and exercises and education. And, uh, and those that are uh, more serious or, or, or have potentially have a surgical or specialist or need for specialist consultation are sent uh, up to the practice lead in each area of the province. And then they're sent on for surgical consultation if they, if they require it. Now, you bring up uh, something that I think is is really important, and and um, you know, again, for the average listener, they may not necessarily know how to navigate this. And because low back pain is so prevalent, uh, someone might be sitting there right now saying, "Okay, well, I, I've got low back pain. How do I know if this is something that I should, you know, be very concerned about or not be so concerned about?" Um, what are sort of some tips that you will give people in terms of uh, what to look for in terms of whether they may require more, you know, specialty intervention or surgical consult, things like that? Yeah, so for, for the program, the, there, there are inclusion and exclusion criteria. Most back pain self-resolves within several weeks. People have an episode of back pain. Uh, they might be uh, quite painful for a few weeks, and, and then it resolves. So the inclusion criteria for the program, uh, recognizing that, that many patients have, have self-resolving back pain, are symptoms more than six weeks or less than a year. So certainly if, if your back pain is persisting more than six weeks, you might want to talk to your primary care provider about being referred into the program because that's one of the inclusion criteria. Uh, the other thing that, that you know people should be looking for is, is, is the presence of leg pain if the leg pain is not getting any better. And then certainly if they've had uh, an episode where they've got any sudden change in their bowel or bladder functioning, that's something that should be seen, um, you know, immediately. Um, but those are the main, the main uh, things that, that people should be on the, on the lookout for. Yeah. And, and, and that's really good advice. And what about in terms of, you said there, so more than six weeks, less than a year, um, are people who are outside of that year mark an ideal candidate for this program, or is there um, something else that they should be doing? Yeah, so if somebody has symptoms for more than a year, they wouldn't automatically be excluded. If they have, a, for example, a history of back pain, and now they've developed leg pain as a result of their, uh, of their condition, uh, then they would still be appropriate for the program. Um, it's really the patients where they're, uh, that have symptoms for more than a year 
but have but it hasn't changed. They may have had a history of back pain for 10 years. Um, they're still able to work. They're still able to manage things. Those are the patients that uh, would would not be appropriate for inclusion within the program. Right, and and you keep bringing up leg pain, which you know myself, I I know why you're bringing it up. But can you just clarify for the listeners? maybe sort of a simple type of anatomy lesson, you know, we're not going to take them through chiropractic college, but what, <laughs> what, like, what is it that leg pain means? Why is that such an important symptom when it's associated with low back pain? Well, leg pain can be, you know, uh, caused by many, many different, um, you know, conditions, but the most common conditions that we see are, are disc protrusions or herniations or some sort of stenotic process. Stenosis just means narrowing. So some sort of narrowing process in the spine that's causing leg pain, um, sometimes with walking or, or sometimes, you know, just at rest. Um, but of course, it, it needs the, the expertise of a professional to, to rule out whether it might be some other cause, such as a vascular cause or, or something else. But, but commonly, it's, uh, if it's stemming from the lower back, it's very commonly uh, disc protrusion or herniation or some sort of uh, narrowing process. Right. And with this program, so if someone is listening and they said, you know, I think I might be an ideal candidate for this, uh, for, for referral to this program, um, it, you know, I know again myself because I'm part of the program, it's not as simple as going to any family doctor and saying, just refer me here. There's a process for the primary care professional um, that's involved. Can you take us through that a little bit? Yeah, there is a, a, a sign up because the, the, the primary care prof, uh, professionals have to be knowledgeable about the program, but it's fairly um, it's fairly simple. They just have to complete an online module which trains them on on the inclusion and the exclusion criteria. So that's for uh, primary care physicians as well as nurse practitioners. Right. Um, one of uh, the things that we try to really educate people on on this show, and, and you, you'll be even more of an expert on this than, than me, but when it comes to low back pain, you, you sort of earlier said that, you know, 10% of cases, <clears throat> excuse me, or less than 10% of cases probably need some type of a surgical consultation or specialty intervention or whatever. Uh, but when we're dealing with the stuff that is um, outside of that, the 90% of low back pain, which is mechanical in nature, um, you know, we, we're going to have to take a break in, in about a minute and a half or whatever, but can you start by taking us through what the right approach is for mechanical low back pain? So if someone's been told, no, this isn't an emergency, there's nothing more serious than this is a mechanical issue, um, and we get tons of callers all the time that have, you know, are, are reliant on passive interventions. They're taking medication or they're uh, getting massages constantly or whatever, and they're not really involving any active care into their um, into their plan. Can you start by taking us through how important it is for that that type of back pain that people actually do that active care? Yeah, the the, the most important thing, of course, initially is to to, to get a, a good diagnosis from 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 the experts, um, and then after that, of course, exercise is very important. There are clinical guidelines that have been developed for back pain from different government and um, professional organizations, which are very good and they're evidence based. So so following the, uh, you know getting treatment in accordance with those guidelines gives you the most optimal chance of, of improvement. There's a, a multitude of different treatments that are administered for back pain. Some have much more evidence than, than others for their efficacy. Right. 
We're talking to uh, Dr. DeSantos here uh, with Lou, Dr. Lou and the Pinpoint Health Show. So much more to cover. This is a topic that affects so many people. Dr. Lou, you know it affects you and I, but there's so many people listening that uh, need to tune in for the remainder of this show as we're focusing uh, for the next little while on lower back and issues uh, that pertain to that. So stick around. In the meantime, though, you want to reach out to uh, Dr. Lou. Very simple, one 855 Lou D-R-L-O-U. You can email as well, info at pinpointhealth.ca. It's a Pinpoint Health Show continuing. Stick around right here on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Pinpoint Health Show. Uh, Dr. Lou is here. Dr. DeSantos as well. We're uh, focusing on lower back and things to be looking out for and educating over the uh, the next hour. Reaching out to Dr. Lou to, uh, to carry forward is, is easy. one 855 55 Dr. Lou, D R L O U, info at pinpointhealth.ca. And a reminder again, the Lou Down, the long form podcast series you want to uh, look at and listen to at your leisure. And uh, always check out social media and the postings going on with pinpointhealth.ca and Instagram and Facebook and uh, and so much more. Right, uh, right back at it, Dr. Lou, where do we uh, leave off, right? Yeah, so, so just for anybody that's tuning in, we have Dr. Dave DeSantos, who's a practice leader in the um, Central Intake and Assessment Centers for Lower Back Pain in the Hamilton, Niagara, uh, Haldeman, Grant Local Health Integrated Network. Like you said, John, at the beginning of the show, it's a, it's a mouthful, but it's a very, very important role, <clears throat> excuse me, that Dr. DeSantos plays um, in, in helping to manage people's low back pain. And uh, I also alluded to that I'm part of the community setting with the advanced practice providers in this program. Um, so we will see people with low back pain and when we feel it's necessary and they need uh, more investigation and potentially referral to surgeon, we will send them to the practice uh, leads of which Dr. DeSantos is one of those people. So, um, you know, in, in the first part of the show, we were talking about all things related sort of to low back um, and we sort of left off talking about the importance of active care. But um, Dr. DeSantos, one question that I uh, will get a lot and, and I think would be important is, you know, people have tried a lot of different treatments for their low back pain, and you sort of alluded to that there's a whole, you know, plethora of different types of interventions that you could do for the low back uh, pain, and, you know, some are, have very good evidence and some not so good evidence. But if someone is not responding to the treatment that they are, you know, currently undergoing or have gone in the past, what approach do you take with that? Yeah, well, I think it's important to realize that not everybody's going to respond, um, you know, to an exercise program, for example. But the exercises are a very important component of the overall management of back pain uh, in order to to, to mitigate, um, you know, um, recurrences of back pain. Um, so, so it's important that the, the patient, as I mentioned earlier, get a, an appropriate diagnosis and uh, and an investigation of, of what they've had specifically. Um, yeah, there are clinical guidelines, like I mentioned, for the management of back pain. Um, things like manual therapy and exercises are are, are recommended. Um, things like um, um, you know um, passive modalities are tended not to be recommended, but may be incorporated as part of an overall um, treatment um, schedule. Right. Um, one of the things that you brought up there um, is what I focus on a lot. In fact, one of the reasons why this is the Pinpoint Health show and the Pinpoint Health Clinics is I'm a big believer like you 
in the right diagnosis. And John can attest to this. When people have called in and have questions, my first, my first, you know, question to them usually, because, you know, someone might call in and say, you know, I've got whatever disc herniation. And I'll say, well, how do you know that? And, and so many people mm-hmm. self-diagnose um, and don't rely on experts uh, to get the diagnosis. Can you, how important is it? Because, and, and I think this is an important thing to, to hammer home to the listeners because I think it's one of the things that is really unfortunate that happens all too often. And, and it probably leads to a lot of the initial mismanagement of low back pain when people either are not getting the right diagnosis because they haven't gone anywhere or they've seen someone who may not know all that much about low back pain and is just told the generic thing. Like the amount of people that have called in and said, you know, I've got sciatica. I've been told that I have sciatica. And, you know, you and I, uh, Doc, uh, will bang our heads at that because it's like, well, that that doesn't mean a lot if it doesn't come in the context of a specific diagnosis. How important is that component? So you're right that in the fact that you know many of the patients don't have the diagnosis, but what's important to realize is that the diagnosis does not come from from any diagnostic imaging. If they've had an X-ray or if they've had an MRI, just from that alone, you don't make a diagnosis. That's why there's an there's an encouragement that the diagnosis comes from the physical examination, not 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 the diagnostic imaging. And uh, the diagnostic imaging only confirms what we suspect based on our clinical examination. Um, and if there's something there that potentially is a surgical issue, then of course we'll send them on for surgical consultation. But uh, but the, the diagnosis comes from a very good clinical examination from an, from a, a chiropractic or physiotherapist or, or medical expert. Yeah, and, and I'm so happy that you brought that up because I say that all the time when people call in and they'll read you know their clinical impression on the on their MRI or whatever it may be, and, and I try to hammer that home where that that, that is not the diagnosis. That's something that was seen on an image. But our job as practitioners and as clinicians is we've got to correlate um, that with what we see in the physical exam. And and a lot of people, uh, right or wrong, Doc, a lot of people might have on their MRIs, you know, people call, I see people all the time, and I'm sure you do as well, where they say, yeah, you know, my, I I had an MRI and -and so-and-so told me that I have a couple disc bulges at L4-5. L5S1, yet you see them and clinically they have no findings of any disc problems, any radiculopathy, which means, you know, problems with the nerve for those listening. Um, how, how often do you see things like that where people are coming in and relying, unfortunately, so much on the imaging for diagnosis and not necessarily uh, what the expert uh, who's doing the physical exam is telling them? Yeah, I see that often. It's 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 not an uncommon thing where people would come in with a a report of their MRI and the MRI, you know, the, the radiologist to be thorough will detail every single finding that they see on the MRI. So they might have a page or a page and a half of, of a lot of, uh, of um, information that's there, but the, the, the information that's clinically relevant that pertains to them that might be appropriate um, for the surgical, for the surgeon uh, is, is only a small portion of that. So when we look at imaging or when we look at, the investigations that people have, we're trying to correlate it, like I said, to their clinical signs, signs and symptoms, and, and whether they've got leg pain, um, and that's something that the surgeons are looking for, obviously as well. So the, the imaging is really most important for the surgeon because it helps them determine what they're going to be doing with the patient, um, and if it, if it correlates with the person's leg leg pain that they're experiencing, um, and there's clinical findings to confirm that yeah, there's a, there's a there's a problem with a particular nerve. And that's the most. Those are the most important things. But the the imaging is only a small part of it, and it's merely confirmatory to what you what you think is going on based on on your clinical assessment. 
Right. And and you're bringing up there things where surgeons will, will intervene. And, and, and there was one thing that you, uh, on the last segment, you brought up bowel bladder symptoms. And I've talked about cauda equina syndrome uh, before on this show. Uh, and although very, very rare, I do think it's important for people who have, you know, severe acute low back pain with leg pain, it's important for them to note. And unfortunately, the reality is a lot of times their practitioners don't make them aware of this. But can you take us through what cauda equina is with the symptoms uh, that are sort of prevalent with it and why people need to be aware of that and why it is an emergency? So the nerves that um, stem from the lower back area uh, that supply our lower extremities, some of those nerves also supply our bowel and bladder function. So when, when somebody has a, a very large disc herniation, for example, there are, there are instances where it can, it can result in a cauda syndrome. It is very rare. It's one in you know, thousands of cases, but it's something that has to be you know, seen uh, immediately. So some of the signs and symptoms that people may have are any sudden change in their bowel or bladder. Um, and the most predictive is if the person cannot um, empty their bladder, that would be one of the most concerning uh, things. And then, of course, with that, we will, we're, we're always looking for whether the person has any numbness uh, around the, uh, their bottom area or in their saddle area between their thighs. If there's any sort of progression of that sort of thing or any weakness in their legs, then that's something that, that we want the person to be seen uh, as soon as possible. Yeah. And, and clinically, like I know when you're using all those terms, people are often confused, but I know clinically what I often will ask people is, you know, when you're wiping yourself after having used the washroom, can you feel that? Um, and that sort of hits at home for people to sort of make it, oh, okay, yeah, I, I get what you're sort of saying. Because again, for you and I, uh, Doc, we, we sort of know the medical lingo and we, we understand, but um, yeah, it, it's a very, very important thing for people to, to keep an eye out for. And, and like you said, very um, rare, but nonetheless, an, an important thing to uh, to to be aware of. Um, going back, so that that's sort of the most extreme case. But again, we we know that the, you know the vast majority of low back pain cases uh, are not those extreme cases, and and often require not much more than you know conservative management. And we were talking about exercises, and you know there's a bunch. The, the same way there's a lot of interventions for low back pain, there's a ton of different exercises out there. Um, what are some, some of your go-to uh, exercises, I guess, for the management of low back pain? So, uh, as you said, there's a, there's a number of different exercise approaches, but the main thing is, is um, doing exercises to try and uh, condition, condition the lower back in order to prevent future recurrences of lower back pain. Uh, if somebody has leg pain, then one of the things that we're commonly recommending is what we call direction-preferred exercises, where we move the spine in a particular direction in order to get the, the try to get the pain away from the leg towards the lower back. If we can get the leg pain improved, then the person is less likely to be a surgical candidate. And so that's the primary the, the primary goal. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, many people have heard the term core conditioning, um, and that's an important part of it, as well as the general flexibility and stretching uh, routine uh, for many for many individuals. And it's not just the back, of course. It's we're talking about, you know, the the, the hamstring musculature, the the thigh musculature, can, which can affect the biomechanics of the lower back and the pelvis. So those are important areas as well that we we tend to focus on. Yeah, and it's incredible clinically how many people I've seen that have um, are coming in with low back pain or they have a history of low back pain. And, and something that I've heard a lot of times is, you know, and people will naturally sort of say this stuff themselves, right? And, and they sort of, and you don't even have to really push them all that much. And they'll sort of, 
you know, offer up that, hey, when I used to be more active, I was able to, you know, manage my low back pain. You know, people go through ups and downs with their activity levels. And a lot of people that have these chronic issues have said to me, uh, you know, I, I found that when I'm really active and I'm, you know, paying attention to my health more and, you know, getting into the gym or exercising or whatever it may be, I'm overall much better. And then I sort of sit there saying, well, you, you, you sort of know what you have to do then. Um, and it's just sort of the push that's required um, to get them back on, on track with doing those exercises. But I think it's something that is very much undervalued is the importance of, of the activities that they need to do. And, and unfortunately, you know, as we were sort of saying before, so many of the people that we see in, in, in the culture that we live in nowadays, um, people want the easiest solution possible for the, their low back pain. And the reality is, is that the rehab program is, is actually difficult because it requires you to be doing something, you know, every day, potentially multiple times uh, every day. Management of your own low back pain, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Doc, isn't just about the exercises, but it's also about you know, doing the right things that you should do and avoiding the wrong things that you shouldn't do. And, and uh, how much time do you spend educating people on things to avoid, for example? That's a very important part of, of the overall interaction with the patient is the educational component because many patients uh, may not be aware of some of the things that, that are potentially exacerbating their back pain. Um, so that's an important, uh, compo- very important component uh, as well as instructing them on, on exercises. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exercises uh, are such an important thing. And and, and so many times, uh, I, you know, you brought up stenosis and it's funny. I've had people <clears throat> oftentimes, and, and we know that stenosis is, is a presentation that happens most often in the elderly. And <clears throat> one of the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, will happen with that is people start to get that stooped forward posture um, naturally because their, their body is trying to uh, offload the pressure on the nerves. And, and it's funny, a lot of the times I've had a husband and wife combo come in and it's the man that has stenosis and, and, you know, and, and the wife will say, you know, I I've been telling them to stand up straight and and keep and force themselves to walk. And, and, and those are sort of, again, the wrong things. And as soon as you can provide some level of education, like you're saying in terms of no, hang on a sec. Like if you understand why his body's doing that, you'll actually, you know, he's not doing it on purpose. He's doing it. Well, he is in a way, but his body is doing it on purpose to actually protect him. And so, you know, trying to force them to straighten up or walk longer um, is actually probably going to make them worse. And they sort of, you know, will sit there and then, you know, it's funny because they're often like bickering at one another at that point. But uh, anyways, the, the point is, is that the uh, education component is something that I focus on a lot and is really, really important with low back pain because if you know what you should do uh, and you know what you should avoid, that, that can help a tremendous amount. Guys, let's take a uh, let's take a, a short break here. Lots more to cover. Doctor uh, Dave DeSantos is joining us here on the Pinpoint Health Show. We're all focusing and talking about lower back and lower back pain. So, if not yourself, you probably know someone that's affected by this. So, stick around for the uh, remainder of the show. Reaching out afterwards as well. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U and info at pinpointhealth.ca. It's the Pinpoint Health Show. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
And welcome back to the Pinpoint Health Show with uh, with Dr. Lou, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. After the show, to reach out anytime, have a have a chat, a consultation, move forward with it. And a reminder: the clinics are open and running. You shouldn't hesitate to reach out to uh, to Doctor Lou. Info at pinpointhealth.ca as well. Doctor DeSantos uh, continues on with us here. Our chat and our conversation about lower back pain. You know, last segment, Doctor DeSantos, you mentioned cauda equina and why that needs immediate attention. Um, expand on that. Why is I mean. It's a very rare condition, but why does someone have to read uh, or should seek reasonably uh, quick medical attention if they think that uh, might be the problem? Yeah. So as I mentioned, cotoquine is one of the most is probably the most serious thing that we see, and the thing that we're looking at, uh, out for with patients that come in with with uh, lower back conditions. Um, I, I just wanted to, to to say that it is a very rare um, condition, so I don't want anybody to think that if they just have you know, a little bit of um, constipation or some other um, issue that it's uh, that it's uh, necessarily a medical concern. So the things that we're looking for uh, with people that have, uh, um, you know, lower back condition is, is a sudden change in their bowel and bladder functioning. Um, and that usually is uh, something where they can't uh, empty their bladder and they have associated uh, numbness uh, in their saddle area or around their bottom area. Um, and so the, the nerves that supply our lower extremities from the lower back, there's different nerves that also supply our bowel and our bladder. And the main concern that we have is we don't want any sort of, you can have symptoms coming from, from a, a compression or irritation of a nerve, but the nerve may still be functioning well. But what we don't want is any permanent damage to those nerves. So that's why we're always uh, concerned about uh, people that might be developing some of these signs and symptoms. Yeah, and again, very, very rare, uh, but nonetheless important for people to be aware of. And if, and if you're concerned with those things, do seek uh, immediate uh, medical attention. But shifting gears here from, from the rapid access clinics, one of the other um, aspects that Dr. DeSantos is an expert in is in the medical legal world. And, and we've discussed you know car accidents, disability claims, and other uh, forms of injuries like that on this show uh, previously, and I think having an expert like Dr. DeSantos um, can also help navigate this world. And so, um, you know, Dr. DeSantos has been doing, uh, been a medical legal expert since 1994, um, and he's provided expert assessments regarding things like catastrophic impairment, medical re- medical and rehabilitation, and, and other disability uh, benefit issues. So, um, Dave, sort of going into, uh, you know, very high level, but uh, I'll turn it to you in terms of the medical legal world. Uh, someone hurt in something like a car accident. What is it that they should be doing? Because there's going to be a lot to navigate uh, when they're there. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is that you know ensure that you get appropriate care and rehab uh, as early as early as possible, so that you avoid the potential for for developing any any, any chronic symptoms. Because the most important thing, of course, is getting better. Uh, but having said that, if there is an ongoing dispute with regard to medical rehab benefits or disability benefits, um, the rules have changed over the years, and, and, and now um, there's no requirement uh, that the uh, insurer uh, uh, have a medical assessment. In the past, the, the rules uh, required that before an insurance company could deny a medical or rehab benefit, that they had a, an independent uh, medical or healthcare assessment. Um, and now that the rules have been changed to, they may require a medical assessment. So it's important to have that 
uh, in the back of your mind and, and that uh, having access to uh, a medical expert is not uh, guaranteed. So working with your lawyer is important to ensure that you get the appropriate uh, um, expert assessment uh, that you require is, is, is important. That, that's a really important thing that I think you bring up there because a lot of the times when I see people, again, clinically, and if they've been hurt in something like a car accident, I will recommend um, you know, that they should get a lawyer, and there's a lot of them out there. If they ask me for a referral, I can, I'll give usually a number of referrals. But a lot of the times people will ask me, well, why do I even need a lawyer? And I think what you brought up there is really important. Can you just reiterate that again for the listeners? Because I think I don't want it to go missed, and I think that's an important thing why people need to be aware that there's not necessarily um, – uh, like you said, an entitlement to, to that, and, and really they might need someone on their behalf to to sort of fight for them. Yeah. So if we're if we're looking at different um, you know uh, areas of uh, of injury, for example, with WSIB, if it's a work related injury, they have their own assessment program. And if you're injured and there's a an ongoing dispute as to whether or not you require care or would benefit from treatment, um, then there is an assessment process through that. Through, through through the workers workplace safety and insurance board with auto insurance like I mentioned the rules have been changed over the years uh, in the past uh, the, the, the the insurance companies could not uh, uh, deny a benefit uh, without having an independent assessment and now the rules have been changed to uh, and they were changed a number of years ago but um, it, it states that that they may require an assessment so there's no guarantee that the person is automatically going to get um, an expert assessment um, you know, if there's uh, questions about uh, their their need for ongoing treatment. Right. And when you've been called upon for your expert assessment, what, you know, can you take us through sort of what, what it is that you do in order to provide that expert assessment? Well, the, the main thing is that I, well, first off, I just wanted to say that I work with both uh, plaintiff and, and defense lawyers. Um, and the main thing is, is for the if the person is seeking a, a, a independent assessment is that they, 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 they ensure that the person that's doing the assessment has the expertise to to assess them. One of the things that I've always advocated for is a professional peer review assessment. So if somebody's going for physical therapy, for example, they want to see a physical therapy expert. Um, and uh, that, that's the best way of, of ensuring that they get a um, you know a thorough assessment if there's if there's dispute about whether the person would benefit from ongoing physical therapy. Guys, let's take a short break. Lots more of Dr. DeSantos on the way and reaching out to Dr. Lou. Really simple, as I, as I mentioned, one 855 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. Keep that number, write it down, and use it. Uh, info at pinpointhealth.ca is the simple email address to uh, get a hold of Dr. Lou, one of his very capable team, and uh, search out help. Get to one of the clinics as well. And the Lou Down is a long-form podcast. That is how we got social media covered, as well as Instagram and Facebook and everything else. So we'll continue after a short break. More of the Pinpoint Health Show is on the way. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
All right, welcome back. Pinpoint Health Show here with Dr. Lou and our guest this week, Dr. Dave DeSantos, talking about uh, lower back and everything uh, encircling that particular topic. You want to reach out anytime, one 855 doctor Lou. That's D-R-L-O-U and info at pinpointhealth.ca. Dr. Lou, you got about uh, nine minutes to go for today's show. Take uh, take it away, pal. Sure, and, and, and again, uh, we have Dr. Dave DeSantos here, and we started off talking about um, the rapid access clinics for low back pain, and we shifted gears towards the medical legal world uh, since Dr. Mm-hmm. DeSantis is also an expert in that world. Uh, one of the things, if anybody's involved um, in, in something like, you know, WSIB or, uh, uh, you know, a, a car accident disability claim, uh, especially on the, on the car accident world, you might have heard things like the, the catastrophic impairments um, Doc, can you take us through what that all uh, means to somebody and sort of so with, how someone is deemed catastrophic? Yeah, so with, with auto insurance, there's, there's different levels of benefits that people have access to. And obviously, um, the government recognizes that those that have sustained catastrophic injuries have to have sufficient benefits um, that, uh, you know, for, for their treatment because it's much more serious. So there's specific rules and, and criteria as to who, who may have deemed uh, had sustained a catastrophic impairment, for example, and and uh, under the under the rules, uh, the person has to have sustained a 55% whole, what we call a whole person impairment. Um, so that's kind of the threshold as to whether or not somebody has uh, sustained a catastrophic impairment. And that's a combination of physical and perhaps uh, psychological, um, you know, uh, issues combined, or it could be just strictly a physical issue if the person has had a um, amputation or something like that uh, of an arm or a leg yeah and i think that the physical stuff um is is obviously a lot of the times a lot easier to assess because it's apparently more evident um on the psychological side that that could be um uh more of a challenge and and so there's you know experts that deal in that world um you know we don't have too too much more time to go through a bunch of different things but um, can you tell us a little bit about the different types of disability benefits that, that are sort of out there? Yeah, so with disability, of course, somebody could be a caregiver, they could be a homemaker, they could be disabled from their work. So there's different classes of, 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 of whether somebody has sustained uh, you know, a, a, an impairment that, that deems them disabled from whatever they were doing prior to the accident. So there is different uh, criteria. Obviously, the most common one, uh, or the the one that people think of mostly is is whether somebody has been disabled from work, and so there's uh, you know there are assessments that are performed for that category of of individual who has sustained a, a you know motor vehicle accident. Yeah, and then there's lots of levels there, and and again this is a very very um, complicated world. But I guess sort of the summary of it is um, you know people should I guess seek the right medical experts, the right legal experts. Um, when they're when they have these things, and, and neither of us are lawyers, so we won't talk about the legal stuff. But on the medical expert side, how, how does someone know if they're seeing, you know, how do I put this? How, how does someone know if someone's seeing sort of the right people versus the wrong people? I know I've talked about some things in terms of red flags on certain types of people that you may not want to see from a medical side. But are there is there advice that you give on who might be the right or wrong uh, medical professional to see for these types of issues? Yeah, uh, what I would recommend is before somebody um, attends for an assessment, whether it's requested on behalf of the insurer or somebody else, is that they seek the the qualifications of that individual. 
Um, the other thing that people want to be looking for is that the person spends time with them. Uh, you know, if the person just goes in and it's a, a 10 minute assessment, well, you can't do an assessment in that and, 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 and look at all the issues, especially with this complex world of, uh, of disability or medical rehab benefits. So that's an important thing to look for as well is that the person spending time uh, going, being very thorough with them. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the qualifications of the in- individual are very important. And, and you may want to request that, a, that an expert peer review of something be, be performed if, if there's a dispute. For example, if there's a dispute, as I mentioned before, about physical therapy, you could request that, that you know, you see a, a, an expert physical um, therapist or chiropractic specialist or, or chiropractor, um, you know, to, to evaluate the benefits that are in dispute. Any big takeaway points that you'd really like to for people to take, um, sort of remember if they can? Yeah, what I would say is that um, you know don't necessarily rely on 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 the opinion of one individual. Do your homework. Um, take take um, you know take responsibility for your own care. Make sure you're exercising regularly and trying to get better. Those are the main things that I think you know has to be uh, uh, people have to adopt uh, if they've been injured, whether it's in a car accident or any other capacity. Yeah, and I think that that sort of is a, a nice summary, not only of this show, but a lot of the things that I've tried to do on this show over the last, I, know, I don't know, five years or whatever it's been, John, that we've been doing this yeah. show. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're saying the same things that, that, that I've constantly said, which is, you know, get the right diagnosis. Once you have the right diagnosis, uh, you know, manage that in the best evidence-informed way. Uh, and that includes a lot of different things. And if you do that, um, you can oftentimes prevent things from becoming overly chronic. You and I, Dr. DeSantos, have both seen uh, people who unfortunately have let things spiral so much out of control, sometimes through their own fault, sometimes not through their own fault. Uh, but nonetheless, the result becomes that chronic nature, which um, you know can, can be a lot more devastating uh, in terms of impact on life and quality of life and things like that. Uh, and, you know, if you can deal with things in the acute phase, uh, that's always a, a better option than, you know, letting things, uh, you know, go on for too long. And uh, and like I said, sometimes it's not even the fault of the individual. Sometimes it's a lot of times the advice that they've gotten, you know, the amount of times that John and I have pe- had people call in for things like, you know, it's crazy. We've had people call in who have had surgery and then they're not doing well. And it was, you know, say a knee replacement. And then I'll say, have you done rehab? And they'll say, well, that no one recommended for me to do rehab, yeah. and 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 so that that's pretty crazy that that those things sort of still happen, which sort of goes to the point that you made. Don't be afraid um, to get another opinion to to you know to try to get a second opinion. You know, you don't want to have ten opinions because if ten people are telling you the same thing, you border on maybe being a bit of a hypochondriac. But you know, two three opinions. I know that I've recommended it for my patients. It, it, you know, I, I have no problems with someone seeking a second opinion, and I don't think any other professional should. And unfortunately, there are some um, that may may have an issue with that. Is that something that you find as well clinically that that people want to uh, encourage their patients not to have a second opinion? Yeah, no, I, I think most uh, responsible, you know, anybody that's that's reasonable and responsible would encourage a second opinion. I, I even encourage it with patients if, if they have outstanding questions. I try and address all their questions, but I think it's entirely within the the the, the right of the patient, and it's uh, it's it's entirely appropriate if there's any outstanding questions 
that have to be answered that the person seek another opinion. Like you say, you may not want to get 10 opinions, but certainly a couple of opinions, uh, two or three opinions, um, uh, when it's something that's perhaps a little bit more complex is entirely reasonable. Yeah. Guys, another uh, another fantastic show. Dr. Lou, you want to uh, just wrap it up with your final comments, and we'll uh, we'll call it a week for sure. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, Dr. DeSantos, thanks very much for being with us here today and providing all the uh, valuable insight that you have to our listeners. Thanks for having me, Dr. Lou. You want to reach out anytime now that we are uh, done or listen back to the show, that is available for you as well. The phone number one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. You probably have that written down by now. Online, you can go to uh, the Lou Down. That's a long-form podcast and all the uh, Pinpoint Health social as well and Facebook and Instagram and all those things as well. You can uh, reach out through email, info at pinpointhealth.ca as well, info at pinpointhealth.ca. Thank you again, Dr. Santos, and we'll catch you next time on the Pinpoint Health Show right here on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.